Well, thank you all for the warm welcome uh, into the area. My wife and family are grateful to be here with God's calling and the opportunity to serve. Let's read God's word together before we look at it. So if you have a Bible or a Bible reading app, you prefer turn to the Gospel of Luke chapter 6, and we'll be reading verses 12 to 19. Uh, Luke chapter 6, verses 12 to 19. Um, beginning in verse 12. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, who he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him in healing them all. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me before we uh, dive in. Uh, Almighty and ever-loving Father, we, we bow before you, the one true God of all. We come, each of us, with our expectations of what we think we need from you, demanding of you rather than coming open-handed needing your grace, but our great need is to encounter Christ personally, so make it so for us in the preaching of your word. Show us the living word, Jesus Christ. Because without you we're not able to please you, mercifully grant that your Holy Spirit may in all things direct and rule our hearts through Jesus Christ our Lord who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Well, again, I'm so very thankful for the opportunity. I really look forward to getting to know you all personally and you getting to know my family. If you didn't check Pastor Chat this week or see me about a month ago when I was introduced personally, let me just quickly do a rundown, the personal introduction of my family. Uh, my wife Beth and I have been married 27 years. We're both from Pennsylvania, and we did meet at Penn State despite what her story is. Uh, we have tw uh, four kids that we raised uh, over 25 years in uh, Dallas, Texas at the church we chose to attend while I studied at Dallas Theological Seminary there. Uh, our oldest is our only daughter, Emma. She graduated from Texas A&M. And uh, in Texas, when you say that and there's any kind of Aggie present, they go whoop. So maybe you can be like virtual Aggies for a second here. My daughter graduated from Texas A&M. Ah, nice. Nicely done. Very unceremoniously this spring. And uh, she did get engaged, though, and we're uh, thrilled to be uh, celebrating a wedding at the end of the year. And then she will end up in Houston with her fiancé, who's in his second year of med school. Our oldest son, Isaac, is not with us. He's at the University of Oklahoma, where he's pursuing a Bachelor's of Fine Arts in, um, in ballet. And if there is an arts community that emerges after this pandemic, his desire is to dance professionally. 
Our uh, next son, Luke, graduated from high school in Richardson, Texas this year in a specialty in robotics. And then our youngest, our son Trey, is a seventh grader, active and eager to get rolling in Bay uh, Village Middle School. Uh, again, thanks again for the warm welcome. We, it is starting to feel like home. We have opened hundreds of boxes, piled up mounds of trash. Um, miraculously, we were able to pull two cars into the garage this weekend. It only took me two days to lock myself out of the office, and uh, we had our first major plumbing problem, so it really is feeling like home. And that's the small community of our family. We're looking forward, of course, to engaging more the community of Bay Prez and the surrounding communities. But community and our need for it is, is the theme that I want us to consider this morning the text just read. So we have a deep, deep need for community. We cannot turn it off. If there's anything that we realize so truly because of this pandemic is how much we long for community when so many things are taken away from us. But yet as a culture, we're not sure quite how to find deep community, much less encourage it and grow it. And even personally, for some of you, maybe, you know, community's been something that you've been longing for a long time, but ever elusive with just that ache of loneliness. And yet for others, there's the familiar wounds of community, conflict, sometimes new, sometimes lingering, perpetually raw. That can be enough reason to avoid community. It used to be in our overscheduled pace of life and calendars before the pandemic, the number one excuse we'd offer to not get involved in a small group or community is I'm too busy. But the last thing we need in this environment is more free time. Social researchers even noticed that even before the pandemic slowed things down, we don't just need more free time for entertainment or me time, which is what our culture is geared towards. We need very intentional we time. Why does community matter so much to us? Well, it's wired into us. It's part of what it means to be created in God's image. We need community because we need God, and God lives eternally, freely, in community. The triune God of love and grace, the Father, Son, and Spirit. Yet culturally, satisfying community is elusive. Harvard political scientist Robert Putnam, who authored a book called Bowling Alone, wrote as he observed the erosion of our social fabric, said instead of having friends, we watch friends on television, the TV show. We follow celebrities and think, oh yeah, I consider them a friend. Or we focus our friendship time on connecting virtually, watching each other's self-praise or trumped up vitriol via social media. We're manipulated by technology, not realizing how it steals away opportunities and reveals the lack of skill that we have as a community to build community when we get the opportunity. I was listening to an NPR story earlier this week where I didn't realize this was a thing some academicians were studying, but there was a study looking at the use of a period in text messaging. And I don't know if you knew this, but it's coming to the place where using a period in a text message is considered pushy and off-putting. What used to mark sentences now is a, is a push away. And the young man who shared a testimony that, in that uh, story said he had received a text message with a period in it from what, he, what was a friend. And he just backed away from the friendship because he thought it was a little too over the line. See, real community can sustain those things, but we find it elusive, which makes you think, why in the world do we hang out with the people we do? Like, and what keeps you together? And how do you grow? How are you challenged by community when you do get together? 
A.J. Swoboda's book, Subversive Sabbath, makes a distinction between what's called peg communities and ethical communities. Peg communities are communities that are formed around a shared experience, disconnected, disconnected spectators around a shared experience, like a concert or like the dog pound as the NFL begins Sunday games today, maybe a book club or a political club. But ethical communities, in contrast, are those marked by a commitment, a sacrifice, a willingness to, to give to others. Those kind of communities are secure and active and a backbone for meaningful society. His observation is, as peg communities have grown greatly in our culture, ethical communities have fallen And that has contributed to the erosion of society. Well, now all of a sudden, we've even lost the peg communities, which is an invite by God that disciples of Christ would really seek what does true community look like. Which is why we're going to make a call, a big push, not only this sermon, but you've heard it for weeks and will be in the fall, to have everybody at Bay Prez be involved in a small group. It's the only way you can grow and live out the fullness of life in Christ. And I want us to see this in this unlikely text from Luke chapter 6 that we read. You know, we just finished a series through the Exodus, which is the grand story of salvation in the Hebrew Scriptures. I know this is a standalone message, but it really is a great connection to that series. Because the gospel writers present Jesus as the new and greater Moses. And if the Exodus was the great story of redemption in the Hebrew scriptures, of course Jesus, as the new and greater Moses, sets up the same themes and fulfills them all in the great redemption for all who would trust in him. There's water that's crossed where God calls his people his own. There's a mountain that, they go, that the leader goes up to and brings down uh, law on how to live. There's battles in the wilderness where faith and fear are pitted against each other, as we heard last week. And there's even a meal given to strengthen the community. The same stuff in the gospel as Jesus is introduced, leading a new kingdom. He crosses waters, and God speaks over with my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. He immediately goes into the wilderness and battles with great faith, evil personified in Satan in the temptations in the wilderness. He goes up a mountain, and that's where we see him in this text. And, he, and what he does from the mountain in the darkness to the morning to the daytime coming down is an incredible act of new creation where Jesus establishes new community. And it's not just a model, but a provision for everyone who chooses to follow Jesus Christ. For every disciple of Christ can experience the benefits of a transforming spiritual community following the pattern of Jesus' ministry with three characteristics. There's an outline on the screen. We're called to depend completely, forgive joyfully, and serve graciously. I like to put at times an outline in the front end to keep me on track and maybe you as well. But the movement of that outline follows the unique marker of time in this text. What begins is Jesus in darkness on a mountain, in morning he makes a declaration, and in the daytime he's active in ministry. Let's look first what it means to depend completely to experience spiritual community. It seems a little ironic maybe to say that we talk about community by looking at Jesus in solitude at night and the need to depend completely. But that dependence and communing with God, even in darkness, is the beginning of true and lasting community. 
the darkness of night is not just a time marker in the Bible. It's oftentimes a metaphor or descriptor for the effect of sin and its chaotic corruption that takes place in the world. And so here's Jesus in the midst of darkness and the presence of sin in the world running to the Father, seeking communion with the Father. You know, it's at those moments of darkness that we ask the question, God, where are you? Have you left us? Reveal yourself to us. And here we see Jesus moving to the Father and communing with him. You know, it's a rather dark world right now. It might feel like that for you in your life. By simple application of this first point, we're all invited to consider practicing a discipline of solitude and prayer. And the promise of the gospel would be when we seek Christ in solitude and prayer, he meets us just like Jesus meets the Father. He's practicing dependence, complete dependence on the triune God, the Father and the Spirit. Jesus, who experienced eternal communion, now enters our world, and somehow he still needs to depend in communion. It's a great example for us. But have you ever spent all night in prayer? I mean, all night? Why would you, right? I've spent sleepless nights before, restless, my body not able to sleep. And at that time when I'm praying, I'm usually like, Lord, help me sleep. Or if I'm overwhelmed with anxiety, Lord, make a way through the anxiety. You see, I oftentimes approach prayers making demands of God for my life, not just communing. But I don't think Jesus is going making demands. He's depending. He's communing. There's some scholars that suggest, well, he really had to put in lots of time in prayer to get the selection of the 12 disciples right. If that's the case, given the ragtag bunch of 12 that he put together, he could have used a few more hours praying maybe. Unless what he was really doing is the hard work of discerning those that are truly open and vulnerable and willing to grow versus the folks that look like they have it all together and committed to religion. But he's depending completely in prayer. Something we oftentimes misunderstand when it comes to prayer. I know I've visited with folks over the years. If they need counsel, they'll tell me what's going on in their life, and I'll try to push into it. At that point, you get defensive. It's like, nope, and overconfidence. I prayed about it. I know what I'm going to get. I don't think that's Jesus' attitude. There are others that kind of treat prayer as if, like, it's the currency for God as a heavenly vending machine. You know, the more you pray... The more you put in, the more comfort, uh, the more of the stuff you desire from God is, is received. I don't think it works that way. It doesn't work like the magic eight ball. You remember that, that thing? Yeah. Where you get asked questions and get really sage wisdom in response. Like, should I, should I date her? Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> should I give more money to the church? Ask again later, right? <laughs> You know, there, there's no overconfidence in prayer. There's no treating prayer like we get things from God. It really is an invite to just be with him. My son, Trey, our youngest, is very affectionate. I don't know if he was more affectionate than the other children uh, at that age. But I remember he would, about uh, age seven or eight, just crawl up my lap regularly and want to just hug and cuddle. He would say, Dad, I just, I just want to be with you. I'd be curious by that. And I'd ask, not in a shameful way, why do you want to be with me? I just... Sometimes he'd come demanding of me more time rather than going to bed, but oftentimes he'd just say, Dad, I just want to be with you. Why? Because I love you. Now, where did he get that? The same way God puts in our hearts a desire to commune with him, which Jesus not only exemplifies, but invites us to consider. 
We need to spend time alone so we can hear, like Jesus heard, my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. As he's facing shouts of Hosanna and shouts of crucify him, he can be reminded of the time repeatedly spent alone, my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. That's why we turn to God to depend completely through Jesus Christ. So we can hear the voice of God saying, I love you, my beloved son, my beloved daughter. You're forgiven. You're mine. Oh, we need to depend completely. If you don't have a pattern of solitude and prayer, consider it this week. I mean, take 15 minutes a day. It's hard. And if you're just getting started, you'll be distracted. I guarantee it. Write down the distractions. I have to. And then pray over the distractions. God's in the details. He wants you to depend on him. He wants to meet you there. Well, I don't even know what to pray. Okay, well, this is another reason why we need community. We need community so that we can learn how to live together and forgive joyfully. That's the second movement of this text. Jesus goes from the morning or from the nighttime to the morning. And when he comes down in the morning, he calls the 12. This is an act of creation, setting things new, like forgiveness, cleaning the slate. Verse 13, when morning came, Jesus called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. I think the translation better here is he named them. It's strong creation language. Now, in John 17, Jesus is praying for his disciples, and he admits, God, you gave them to me. But here, it says he called them and then chose them. Mark, in his gospel, adds Jesus called those whom he desired. So the dependence and complete, uh, complete dependence and solitude for Jesus united his will with the Father, that what the Father gives, Jesus desires. And then he calls and chooses. This is the way the gospel works. We don't earn God's calling. We receive it graciously. Jesus calls and he gives them a new name. He changes their name individually and corporately. One of my um, favorite experiences and memories of uh, one of my sons when he was really small, we had a liturgy in our family that whenever you get out of the car in a parking lot, we just had to say, hold somebody's hand, grab somebody's hand. You probably experienced something similar as a family uh, or as a parent or a family member, right? Hold somebody's hand. I remember doing this one time. Everybody grab a hand and my son says, okay, I'll grab my own. That is the default of our hearts. We, we just want to grab our own hand. But what Jesus calls the disciples to is to be together. He names them together apostles. Now this is new creation language hearkening back to the great story of Exodus as well. You know, we name things all the time because we want to have power. Naming is power. I mean, parents can get all sorts of experiences from their kids. Brokenness, <laughs> defeat, debt, but they get exclusive naming rights. That's power, right? Uh, I, I know when, if you want to really get a kid to learn responsibility, get them a pet. Imagine bringing a 10-year-old, a kitten, or a puppy. The first thing you might ask them to do is say, name the pet. Why? Because you want them to have responsibility with it. We got a, a Labradoodle, our second one, about five or six years ago. Um, I think he's a, de he's, he's a defective Labradoodle, but he's a really sweet dog. 
Um, and when we were bringing him home from the pound that we rescued him from, it was a lively discussion in the car. What are we going to name him? I wanted my kids to have responsibility for the dog. And they tricked me. They named him the same name of my dog as a kid. So they didn't have the same kind of responsibility I'd hoped for. Because that's what happens to us. We name things in hope. But when God in creation names things, he blesses with the reality. And so when Jesus names them disciples, apostles, he gives them his authority to do, to bless them to do what he asks them to do. He takes individuals who are very desperate, very disparate, very different, very much unlike each other, and he brings them together, forgives them, and makes a new community. Behold, the new community of God. That's what's happening when he calls his disciples. This is pretty profound when you think about it. I mean, consider just the group of apostles that are together there, Jews and Gentiles together, wealthy businessmen, middle-class business owners, fishermen, poor, political zealots, political conservatives, some quiet, some called sons of thunder, and oh yeah, a traitor. Jesus can bring together people who otherwise would never come together. Why? Because of forgiveness. He cleans the slate. He begins new. And when you're forgiven, you, you can't help but forgive others if forgiveness is at work in you. Forgiveness is essentially recognizing that you need to give up the seat of being God, not holding others to what only God can provide for you. That's what you do in community. Henry Nouwen said, community is the place where the person you like the least lives, which means it's inevitable you get involved in community and you'll be forced to forgive. And if you're more honest, you'll get a chance to ask for forgiveness repeatedly. And when you do and you experience it, you now have an opportunity to celebrate God's gifts and differences at work in each of you. That is how we are shaped in community. Depend completely to be centered on Christ. Forgive joyfully to be shaped in community. But real community doesn't just gather together and look at each other and then gather again next week. It's actually very purposeful in the world, which is the third movement of the text. To experience true community, you serve graciously. A community that comes together, that forgives joyfully, ends up serving graciously. I love the way this text reads, in beginning in verse 17. Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place with the great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. This is the whole world, Jews and Gentiles, right, together. Community drives us there into the world. They, they came out to hear him and be healed of their diseases. Those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him, and he healed them all. That phrase, power came out from him. Boy, it sounds so simple, doesn't it? It's, it's effortless for Jesus. When he shows up, divine power comes out, and the world around him's changed. That is exactly what Jesus intends to do with his disciples and community. Mark 3, the parallel passage so Jesus calls those whom he desired so that they would do the same things that he did, preach and teach and heal. Jesus' power coming out through them when they gather together. This is what 
growing community would look like. They're sent into the world. They depend completely. They're centered in Christ. They forgive joyfully. They're shaped in community. They're sent into the world to serve graciously. We receive life, power, our commissioning from God, and therefore we give it graciously. We just keep sending and letting Jesus' life come out of you. You might think, but I, I don't have anything to offer. I can't do something alone. The world's problems are too big for me. And I would say, yes, yes, yes. Each of us are just like a little fragile thread, broken easily. But, but put them together, weave them together. Not only does it create something very strong, but very beautiful, that the world would just kind of marvel at. That's what we hope growing community at Bay Prez would look like. Sent into the world. Doing it together where Christ's power comes out of you. But I'm not strong. I don't have the right gifts. I don't have it all together. Great. Share your weakness together. But when you do it together, Jesus' power will come out. It'll be a remarkable thing. Now you might hear ultimately the only way we can have this kind of community is not just the example of Christ, but the provision of Christ. You see, Jesus went out and experienced the worst kind of solitude, the worst kind of darkness and separation, separated from the Father and death. Death because of a sin that he bore upon himself that we deserved. He died alone, separate from the Father, so that in him we might never be separated. So when we now turn to God, depend completely in the darkness of our night, he's there. We meet Jesus Jesus did battle on the cross in solitude. He was destroyed on the cross, buried in the grave, so that when he rose again, new creation, a new thing would be happening. Anything that is new is made new by Jesus, including us, individually, collectively. And Jesus' ongoing ministry is to restore us, to bring forgiveness and healing, to bring reconciliation and shalom into a broken world. These things we do together because of and in Jesus Christ. Let me conclude with just three simple applications, and then I'm going to hear a testimony uh, from Melissa and Rob Estridge. The, the first is this. If you don't have the establishment of a prayer life, try it this week. 15 minutes a day. Set a timer. Make a reminder on your phone. Uh, get a notebook so you can jot down the distractions. If you want to be bold and go for 30 or an hour, great. Walk. Pray. But when you do, reflect on God's word. Hear the voice of the Father speak to you. My beloved, I love you more than you can imagine. You're forgiven. You're mine. When, when God speaks creation, and it's true, and it comes to life, it's really true. So when God says, you're my beloved, you're forgiven, you're mine, it's really true. Allow that to be the pattern of your prayer life this week. Secondly, get in a group. If you haven't already, you've heard the press, and we're going to continue to press with the goal that everyone at Bay Press would be involved in a small group. Go to baypress.org slash join a group. Email Melissa Estridge. Email me, Keith or Kay Heilman at baypress.org. We want to make sure that you get involved. And when you get involved in a group, we want to, you to serve together. The gospel and life material is so good and rich it will develop your centeredness on Christ. It will also encourage you to serve. And you may think, well, that's too much for me as a leader or a member of a group to kind of hold together. It's all right. We're going to guide you through a lot of opportunities and options so that you can learn to serve together, not as a project to check a box, but as a way of life because this is what real community does in the world. Well, 
Rob and Melissa, come share with us a little bit about your group experience as an encouragement uh, for us all as we would think to apply this text. So I've already introduced you, Rob and Melissa Esters. I've just met you this week, and I'm so grateful to work with you as small groups coordinator. Tell us about your group. Awesome. So we are a mighty group, mostly young families with young kids, but a couple others from a couple walks of life. We meet every Sunday for a couple hours outdoor, and we've been doing different parks and different schools with playgrounds so the kids can play if the kid, the families are comfortable bringing their kids, but some are not. And But we're having a blast. We've been together about two and a half years since Super Bowl Sunday two years ago. Thank you so much for sharing. Let's stand for the benediction. Um, this benediction comes from the end of 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 13. It is really a reminder that the foundation for any meaningful community is the eternal community of God the Father, Son, and Spirit. And so now, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.